You've lived a great life and done well for yourself. But what mark will you leave on the world? How will you inspire future generations? Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand have helped thousands of people answer exactly those questions. If you've ever wondered, what will be my legacy? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Stan and Katie Beth. Welcome back to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. We're your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. And joining us today is Wealth Management Advisor, Ross Brannon. Ross, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we get started, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about what got you started in this industry. I kind of fell into it, quite frankly. (laughs) I was a client of the firm that I currently work for, and they... I guess saw something in me they liked. They recruited me to the firm and I kind of have always been somewhat financially minded. And so I made the jump and that was, I guess, like 13, 12 or 13 years ago. It's been a fun ride. It's great. So your business practice has a large focus on helping dentists in the business. So tell us how you got connected with the world of dentistry and what unique challenges that the dentists you work with face when it comes to financial planning. So it's really interesting. So I had a client who was an orthodontist that I knew through college. And and then he introduced me to his college roommate. And his college roommate was one of those connector type people. And once I met him, then I met like a dozen more. And then it just kind of kept going and going and going. Next thing you know, I've got like so many dentists. I was like, well, I think I'm just going to focus on this. And the thing, the cool thing about dentists is the unique difference between a dentist and a physician is most physicians are W-2 employees of a hospital. Uh, at least that's the way it is today, mostly. There's a few specialties that aren't that way, but mostly that's how it is. Dentists are all small business owners if they own their own practice. So there's uniquely more ways to help them, uniquely more challenges that they have. Very interesting. Okay, Stan, what questions do you have for Ross? You know, one of the things I've noticed in my work with business owner clients, including some dentists, is that they do a better job of getting into the business or the professional practice than they do figuring out how to get out of it at some point at the end. I'm curious, you know, what insights do you have? You know, I know that dentistry's changed a lot. There are a lot of roll-up groups out there. What's been your experience with your clients that have been in practice a long time and reach a point where retirement is something they're thinking about? How do you What's the conversation like when you start positioning them for the exit? Well, nowadays, if you're a dentist, it's easy to get out because all these private equity groups are coming in and buying them like crazy. The challenge is, is if you're successful and you fall to the the temptation of getting bought out too young. I know a guy who got bought out for a handsome number, 47 years old. I said, okay, what are you going to do now that you're done with dentistry? He says, I'm going to manage my investments. I looked at him straight to his face and told him, you're not that rich. And, uh, you know, I talked to him, a couple, this was a couple of years ago, I talked to him just three months ago. He's miserable because you have an earn hour where you got to stay along and be a, basically an employee. He's miserable. He wish he hadn't sold. And I just heard last week that he's going to buy another practice just outside of the- uh, The non-compete zone? Yes, the non-compete zone and start again, which he should because it's just- You're getting rid of the golden goose by selling your business. The the challenge that I see with a lot of people, though, is there is a spectrum, what I call, 
in the world of dentistry. You have dentists who own their own practice, but really they own a job. Now it's a good job, but they own a job. They're making good money. They're not making great money. Then you have the opposite end of the spectrum where you have a business owner who happens to be a dentist. These people print money. They do incredibly well. And there's everybody in between. Most people are in between, but the biggest challenge I think is for people to realize, you know, how do I make this work? And that's how do I make a business turn this practice into a business? What is your role in that process? I don't have an official role, but I do challenge their thinking. I like to push back on the whole concept of retirement. I don't believe in retirement. That makes me a little bit of a unicorn in the American culture because apparently it's in the Bill of Rights that at age 65, you have the right to retire and live a wonderful life. I just haven't seen it there, but that's just the mantra of all these Americans now. I'm not a big believer in retirement. I've seen my father had a forced retirement at age 55. Luckily, he was a good saver, but he, then he was overqualified for a lot of jobs. And then he, over the last 20 years, I've seen him just slowly go downhill physically and cognitively. And it's like, I don't want that. And it's kind of like with exercise. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's the same thing with your brain. So um, retirement is basically a 20th century invention by politicians for all intents and purposes, if you've ever read about it. And I have no interest in it. And I think a lot of people should reconsider it. But that's my opinion. It's outside the norm. And most people don't like to hear that, but I typically tell it to them anyway. Well, I'm really glad to find an ally in that. that you, you, the position you're taking is exactly the position that I've taken with my whole clan. You look at me, you know, kind of like those Americans that you talk about. But, you know, there's a book, a recent book out there called Ikigai. I don't know if you've seen this book. It talks about how called? Ikigai, it's a Japanese word that roughly translates to a uh, long and happy life. And they talk about this idea of uh, retirement as not being a concept that exists in the cultures where people live to be really old. Exactly. Yeah. I always felt like that, especially watching my father. But then I had joined Strategic Coach, which is a, a program with Dan Sullivan. And Dan Sullivan is 78 years old. You know, Planning to live to be 155. 156, but yes, and never will retire. And if you Google Dan Sullivan retirement, and you there will be an article that comes up why I don't believe in retirement. It's phenomenal. It just it challenges the way we think. But you know, if you go to work and you hate your job and you just punch the clock for 30 or 40 years, then you know that's what you expect to do. But no one, I mean, very few people do retirement well. You know, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. No one ever does that. It's just, it's all unicorns and fairy dust. And then all of a sudden, I, I mean, I've seen people go into deep depression once they have retirement. They don't, to, you know, they don't have to do. If you don't have a plan post retirement, you're done. You're done. Yeah. Purpose is pretty important, isn't it? It is. It is. Human beings were uh, wired for that. And that and connection and relationship, which is why there were so many challenges in the last few years. Absolutely. What unique challenges did you face with what you do throughout COVID? It's funny because all of my clients who were dentists had their best years in 2020 and 2021. So really? my business exploded in 2021. So I'm based in Florida. I've got clients all over the country. So I was doing Zoom before COVID and I was just driving to the office to do Zoom meetings. And then I realized I could just do it from home. So that and we were in Florida 
So that made things a little bit easier. You know, my COVID experience was nothing like someone living in New York or California. Right. Incredible. Okay. So to take a bit of a turn, you are the father of five kids. Is that correct? That is correct. My wife would say she's the mother of six. I'm the father of five, brother. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So if you can give your kids one piece of wisdom that you have learned over the years in this business, what would that be? Well, there's a few things that I would say. Number one, always be a great saver, which is kind of the anti-American thing, but just always save a lot of money. Number two, I would say, and this might be a little harsh to some people listening, is don't be an employee. I mean, sure, if there's a training aspect of being an employee fresh out of college or whatever, but let it be a short time. Go do something, start a business, or do something entrepreneurial. And I realize not everyone's wired that way, but I just don't be an employee. I would be a terrible employee. I would get fired all the time. But you make a great boss, right? I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's great. That is that is good stuff. So through the work that you do, is there a legacy you're hoping to leave? Well, a lot of people say legacy is more than money. And it absolutely is more than money. Right. But most of the people who say legacy is more than money usually don't have any money. And now... There are many legacy aspects that are much more valuable than any check. Um, there's no doubt about that. And I'm a believer. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want to leave my kids trust fund babies. And I'm like, and I would argue that has nothing to do with the money. That has more to do with entitlement and how you raise them. So my goal is to leave as much money as humanly possible to my kids. Now, the reality is, statistically, when I die, my kids are going to be like, sick in their 60s or 70s. So I'm leaving it for multiple generations at that point in time. But I want to leave as much money as possible. But that being said, I also want to leave them wisdom. Like I want my ceiling to be their floor in all aspects of life, not just financially, but I don't want them to have to relearn the lessons in life that I've learned. You know, I'm not a big reinvent the wheel type of guy. And I feel like it's a failure for me if I haven't taught them certain lessons and they have to go relearn them. So how are you doing that? Well, it's a challenge. You know, my, my oldest is 16. So it's like, okay, you know, they're at a point, a lot of these lessons I think are that they really aren't going to quite get. A lot of them, I think from a financial perspective, a lot of them in other areas of life, a lot of them, they have to have a level of maturity to really comprehend that. So my kids are 16, 13, 11, 7, and 3. So the bottom three really can't hear it. The 13-year-old, the world revolves around him at this point in time, you know, as anyone knows. My 16-year-old has a really good head on her shoulders, but I just have to, she's a really good student. She does a lot of reading. I just have to kind of pick and choose my moments when she's open to hear certain things. But as they get a little older, I think late teens, early 20s, I think it'll be really important. And then obviously, if you build a relationship with your children where you know, once they leave the home, they never come back. That's what you don't want. It, if you build a relationship where like they're always coming back, they're always talking to you, you're almost like their best friend, then they can lean on you for advice. So many people don't have great relationships with their kids because they didn't do a good job parenting or whatever the issue is. And so my hope is to build a relationship with my children, a relationship of connection 
where I am always there and uh, for them and they can always lean on me because I think there's a lot of advice that they're not going to quite get at 16 that maybe they'll get at 35. So give me some examples of how you really do that. Well, I think you've got to connect with your kids. You've got to spend time with them. You know, my family, all of our kids are homeschooled now, and they were homeschooled before COVID. So they're at home now. Two of them go to a collaborative a couple of days a week, but they are involved in our life 24-7, 365. It's not like they can hop on a bus, go to school, and we get a break. We get no breaks, and it's just the world we live in. We're used to it. Some people ask, how do you do it? But it's being a part of our life. It's like we're at all their games. We're at all their things. We do everything with them, and we give them feedback, and we talk to them, and we have family time. It's like as families, we've lost the dinner, the sit-down dinner at home. And I used to do that every night with my family. And with five kids, my head's spinning with activities, and we have to be very intentional about getting a sit-down dinner a couple of times a week at our house. Now my kids have phones, which is unheard of. And, you know, I've got lots of opinions on that. But, and so my kids don't, I mean, we have a PlayStation, but my boys play it on the weekend, but they're, my kids are outside. They're not living on the computer or the tablet. We don't own any iPads. You know, they're just, they're being what I would call a normal kid. And we're trying to not make them, how do I say this without, somewhat nice in, in a nice way. We're trying to not make them the snowflakes that you see everywhere. And in fact, we won't let them be snowflakes. Like we're very adamant about, okay, we don't quit. So it doesn't matter. And, you know, I'm a former college athlete. My wife is a former college athlete. So there are certain areas we're pretty intense with the kids, especially when it comes to like phys- uh, sports or physical exercise or things like that. And like, so for discipline, and we don't spank our kids, but our kids, they'll end up doing like burpees or up-downs if they have a poor attitude. And, you know, it tends to work pretty well. And so we try to build resiliency in our kids. We do a lot of reading, and by no means do we have it perfect. I think we're doing better than some people, but there's probably some people doing it better than us. And that's a long-winded answer to your question. So if you're going to pick two or three words that would sum up the values that really matter, the values that you know your children really need to absorb, to fully absorb in order to live a successful life into adulthood, what would those words be? Well, first is grit. Very few people have grit. Most people are pansies, and I'll leave it there. Second, you have to have a growth mindset. Most people have a fixed mindset, and I'm referencing a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. If you've never read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, or the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. Those are two phenomenal books. And being a former athlete has kind of helped me. I think I have a, like probably a natural leaning towards those type of things as a former athlete, but we can always do better. And we're really big on doing that. So like our kids are not always the most athletic on the field of the court, but the, there's no, you don't quit. You fight. And not physically fight, like punching, but you fight and you do your best and you don't quit. And because of that, you know, that helps their performance. So I've seen Angela Duckworth's TED Talk. I haven't read the book, but I'm going to go buy a mindset as soon as we're done here. Those are the kind of insights, Ross, that we really want to take away from this podcast. This is what we want the people that listen to this podcast or watch it. This is what we want them 
these are the really important takeaways. This has been incredibly valuable. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you would like our guests to know? No, I think this is good information. I think you just have to, yeah, in culture today, I think you have to be, some people are naturally contrarian, but I think today more than ever, you really have to be a contrarian. Do you want to be what the masses are doing? And I don't really think you do. Maybe I'm wrong, but I always, you know, I'm not a tinfoil hat guy, but I try and at least pose some critical thinking to everything going on. That's great. That is great. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today has been Ross Brannon. And to find out more about Ross and the work he does, you can check the link to his website in our show notes. Ross, thank you so much for being part of the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy Podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Stan and Katie Beth, go to PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. You can also find links in the show notes.